today's reading is from Revelation 1, 9 to 20, and it's page 1233 in the Church Bible. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thank you, Aliyah. Do you please keep that open or switched on? I'm just going to pray for us as we look at God's word together. Thank you, Lord, so much for uh, your word which opens up to us what Jesus is like now. We thank you while we can remember him as a, a moment in history becoming a baby, that he is um, utterly changed from that at this moment. And we pray you'll help us today to see, to know, to trust and enjoy his glory as he is today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, my name's Morris, I'm one of the leaders of the church here. I'm going to be opening up Revelation 1 to us today. Uh, have you noticed, I wonder if you noticed at this time of year, how hard it is to organise anything in January? Are you finding that? January the 12th is only a month away, but trying to organise something for the 12th of January today, see how you get on. Everyone would be like, no, no, I can't think about that now. I've got still like my Christmas dinner to organise and you know where I'm going to go for New Year and whether the government are going to like lock us in our houses again and all of that I've got to think about. Uh, trying to organise something for January feels wrong when Christmas is in the way. And I think that's because the way Christmas works in the world we live in now is like it's a sort of break. I love, I think I love even more than Christmas, maybe this is a terrible thing to admit as a pastor, if it is, I apologise. Even more than Christmas, I love that like no man's land time between Christmas and New Year, where it's like totally socially acceptable to just like stay at home and not see anyone and eat 
and do what you like and pretend that time doesn't exist. Um, but the problem is with that time is that time does exist, uh, newsflash, and January is still coming. And maybe you look forward to Christmas because it's the time you can switch off reality, but here's the problem in another dark and intimidating December with bad news all over the place. Just a brief break from all the darkness isn't enough. I mean, we believe the truth about Christmas. It's nice. It's good. I'm happy that the God who made the world entered the world we live in 2,000 years ago. I guess that shows like God is into us in a way that's nice. But January's still coming. What's the cash value of that event I wasn't even present at today for me? How will Jesus help me when the romantic moment of looking in the manger will soon be over. The word Advent, which is how Christians describe this time of year coming up to Christmas, it means arriving. And it both means we think about preparing to celebrate Jesus coming to earth as a baby. But really in history, the church has thought about that baby now, that he's in heaven now, and he will arrive again. And I guess what I want to think about now, today, is that, well, it's great Jesus came in the past, and it's good he's coming in the future, but what good is Jesus for this moment? I mean, he's a good excuse to take a holiday, that's nice, but January is coming, and I need more than a break. And there's many people I know facing big things in life that Christmas might give you a break from thinking about. But I want to say today that Jesus, as he is now, he is real, he can help. He's not just a memory for then, but a reality for now. We spent this past term here at Christ Church looking at a letter one of the first Christians wrote to a small, struggling church, uh, struggling with wrong ideas about Jesus they were being taught. And last week we looked at the start of his first book, which is a sort of biography of Jesus. And in that book, he basically says, unlike everybody else, Jesus didn't start existing when he was conceived. He existed before that, in eternity, creating everything with God his Father. And now we're at the other end of his life, this guy called John, one of Jesus' uh, closest friends who knew the word become flesh. He's at the end of his life, and he's in seeming failure. All of his preaching to churches, sharing the gospel, caring for believers. He was expecting Jesus to return very soon. But here we find him exiled on an island called Patmos. He was probably doing hard labor in a prison camp. He was an old man. Everything he'd worked for has failed as persecution of the Roman Empire for the church had really kicked in. So what are we going to do for John, this friend of Jesus, at this end of his life? Do you know what wouldn't have helped as he dealt with these problems, I think? A Christmas card with a picture of some wise men looking into a manger. No, that's nice, but wouldn't have helped him in that moment. But in this lonely, miserable failure, we discover about John, he's celebrating the Lord's Day. That probably means he's remembering Jesus on a Sunday, remembering that Jesus is actually alive, and he knows the Holy Spirit is with him. 
Worth noting, if you're a Christian, the failure of his life doesn't stop him enjoying time worshipping Jesus and knowing the reality of the Holy Spirit wherever he is and whatever he's going through. And as he's in that time, he hears the voice of Jesus speaking. Now, we know that. I'm spoiling the story. But do you notice he doesn't recognise the voice first? Because he doesn't hear the voice of his friend, the first century Palestinian Jesus. He hears this hugely shocking noise, like a trumpet, he says. This is the Jesus he knew before, but he's not the same at all. And the concern of this overwhelming trumpeting voice is to communicate with the churches. You can see that in front of you. Now, in this book of Revelation, numbers mean something, and the number seven is the number of completeness. And there's seven churches listed Jesus wants to talk to. That's the idea there, is that they represent all churches at all times. So here what we see is that Jesus existed before time, perfectly loving his Father in the unity of the Spirit. That same Jesus became a baby human being, became like us so we could become like him. And now, that same Jesus is alive in heaven. And he's interested in the people who trust him. Not when they're getting everything right and everything's going great, but when they're at their lowest, when they're failing, when they're at difficult points of life. He is in heaven saying, I want to speak. He's always speaking to communities of people who trust him. I guess you can say in this way, Jesus is like puppies, not just for Christmas. And if you're a part of his church, that just means all the people who know him, he's real. He's with you. He always has something to say to the churches. And he isn't a baby anymore. I mean... I don't know if you've ever listened to babies speaking. You don't get much back, I'll be honest. I mean, when babies are like six months old or something, they begin smiling back on you, and everybody who's around them behaves like the most amazing thing that anyone's ever done in the whole world. Wow, he smiled. And it's like, oh, yes, well done, but I'm a grown-up. I can have an actual conversation, you know, use words. Is that more exciting? Think of Jesus just as a baby, him speaking to us, not that interesting an idea. But if he's glorified in heaven and his voice is like a trumpet, then that's more interesting. Now, speaking of children, uh, that uh, Jesus, this idea of Jesus that he's always with us and he always might have something to say. If you've got children, that might remind you of something. Little people who follow you around and always want to be with you and always have something to say. It's exhausting. And maybe you're worried that Jesus is going to be exhausting following us around, always with something to say. But that's when we remember that the Jesus who has something to say was the one who lived amongst us here. The one who humbled himself to put us first. That everlasting one who walked our path, he's the one who wants to speak to us. Now, I think that is going to be good for January. Sorry to remind you of January but that Jesus isn't a baby anymore. And he always has something to say to his church, the people who trust him. He's always close. 
That's good for January. Well, John turns around to see the voice. Who it is who's speaking to him? And he can't even find the words to describe what he sees. Do you see what he says? I saw someone who was like a son of man. So he's like, I saw someone and they were sort of like as someone who is like a human being. So he was like a son of man. And this person he sees is luminous, glowing in every way. He has blindingly white hair. And I love the way he says, it was like wool. Oh, no, 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 not like wool. It was like snow. He's like saying it was the whitest thing I could possibly imagine. He can't quite get how white it is. This person's eyes blaze fire. The intensity of his burning gaze. His feet are like metal that glow, that heated right up so it glows bright. His voice is overwhelming, like rushing waters. I don't know whether you've ever had that experience, trying to have a conversation while standing beside a rough sea or a huge waterfall. You can't really connect with the person beside you because the noise and the experience of that is so overwhelming. That's what it's like when this person speaks. The stars, we talked about the stars last week. It's one of the most uh, sarcastic bits of the Bible where it says about God in Genesis 1, he also made the stars. You know, the Milky Way that we can't even get to the nearest one. God also made that. Well, the picture of Jesus in heaven is that he is holding stars in his hand. The whole of the universe is at his command. And he always has the power and the ability to communicate, to strengthen, to challenge his church. That's the picture of a sword coming out of his mouth. The words he communicates get right to the very heart of who we are. They cut as deep as they can go, shaping and changing and putting to death even things in the church that aren't right. His face has so much of its own brightness that you can't even look at him. The way you can't look directly at the sun, that's what it's like when John is confronted with this person. That Jesus, who is alive now in heaven, is unimaginably glorious. I mean, John has to keep saying, it's like snow it's like metal it's like rushing water but it's more than all of those things he's terrifying and he is powerful to change things just with his words one of the things we might do next week as we're doing like children's activities for the christingle to help them understand jesus but a little uh, preview is get something like a, a brick or a chair or something like that and set it down and say, who can move that with their words? I don't mean with your words of like telling someone else to move it. But who of us can move even a tiny little small thing by speaking? None of us, of course we can't. It's just a stupid game to do that. Jesus' words are like a sword. You couldn't look him in the face. You couldn't bear to have eye contact with him. His words cut everything down, just his words. His voice, 
is rushing waters. I love that picture of the sea because it reminds us that when waters rush, they are the most powerful, unconquerable thing that we know. That's what Jesus' voice is like. It is that Jesus who is among the churches, close, speaking, calling. And it is that Jesus who is close to you every day, not just at Christmas. But John's response to seeing Jesus as he is now is blind terror. He was so scared, we're not quite sure what the words mean when it says he fell down as if dead. He either passed out... (laughs) Or he wanted to be dead because he was so scared. Either way, pretty extreme reaction. But that is how you would feel if you saw Jesus as he is glorified now. That's not what Jesus wants you to feel, by the way, but we'll come to that. I wonder if the point of this description isn't to terrify us because... Jesus tells John not to be terrified. We'll come to that. But for us to see something else about Jesus. Recently, I was reading this book. I'd highly recommend it. It's the story of someone who was a Christian, but she really struggled her whole life with, uh, and still does, with a really serious eating disorder. And she uh, saw all the medical help that she could get and all the counselling help she could get. So if that's you... Both of those things are important. But at the point where she actually uh, was able to engage trusting Jesus with this huge thing she was dealing with was when she read Revelation 1. This is what she says in her book. For as long as I could remember, I had been far too intense. All my problems with food were were because of my intense feelings about myself and the world. Yet here was someone more passionate than me. Here was someone with a vision that caught my breath and lifted me out of myself. Here he is, radiant, terrible, beautiful, irresistible. And at last, for me, satisfying. John uses this phrase in his gospel. He says about Jesus, he has life in himself. If you think about any of us, were we to uh, switch off the lights and block out all the light from this room, we wouldn't be able to see each other. It's like a scientific masterclass today at church, isn't it? We wouldn't be able to see each other. Why is that? Here's GCSE physics. Because I can only see you because light reflects off you, and so I can see you there. So if there's no light, no light to reflect off you, we can't see each other. That physical truth is a demonstration of a spiritual truth. Everything that we are able to do and achieve is because we are created to reflect God's glory back to him and out to the world. We are not made to create glory ourselves. We just reflect to God back to what he's done. The problem is that we are glory thieves. We want to take the glory back for ourselves and take the credit and say it was us, when in fact it wasn't us. It was us reflecting God's glory back to him. We are always only reflecting back to God what is true about him. But that is not true of Jesus. He has life in himself. That's this picture here. Light 
glory flows out of him to us. So Emmett Scrivener is able to say, here is someone more passionate and more intense and more self-sufficiently life-giving than anyone else. And it means he's able to fill me with his life in a way that no one or nothing else, that's just a reflector, can do. It was hidden by his incarnation, this brightness, though still true. But now you can see that light-giving, intensely passionate life. Unlike Emma Scrivener, this woman in the book, that's what you need. That hunger we're always scraping away to feel safe, satisfied, whole. That hunger is to be taken up in worship of the one who has life in himself. Here is water to quench your thirst. Here is love to fill your need. Here is acceptance to comfort your soul. And all of that glows endlessly out of Jesus. He has life in himself. If your life is marked by like so many of us, I think, this sort of listlessness, this sense of satisfaction, this grasping for more, this constant feeling like we're not up to things. Here is Jesus, glowing, life in himself. Here he is, offering that light and glory to us. The wise men are funny people in the Christmas story, aren't they? I mean, I actually uh, think they're my favourite people in the Christmas story because they're so strange. They waft in, they smell funny, incense. They come from a country that nobody actually knows. We don't even really know how many of them there were. And they waft in and give these gifts of unimaginable value to this peasant woman. I mean, I'm not sure we ever think about that. Mary had probably never seen any gold in her life. And here come these people and they're like, we've come from another country, from the East. Have our life savings. And then, and I love this was Luke says, they found the baby in a manger. So remember, baby in a cattle trough. And they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Why on earth would they do that? Because they knew it was this Jesus who had lowered himself to be a baby at Christmas. It looks odd in Luke's gospel because Jesus is a baby, but they knew the baby was really this Jesus. And Jesus is like that now. He stands among the churches near communities of people like ours, his word flies out and changes and directs and fills us and cuts to the deep of the heart of us. People here face unimaginably complex and pressing problems. I can't solve them. But there is comfort and help and overwhelming glory that we can find if we'll just worship Jesus. The self-sufficient, light-giving, unimaginably glorious King of Heaven. Seeing him, John falls down in terror. It's interesting, uh, as I uh, say, Jesus doesn't want that response. 
So while it's true that the most powerful and wealthy and uh, strong person in the world, were they to see Jesus today, would fall down in terror before him, that is not what Jesus wants. Think about the personality of the Jesus who's like that and becomes a baby. The personality of the God who made everything and became a person. The personality of the God who came to a world who knew would reject him in order to offer life to people who would accept him. Think about the personality of the God who started a revolution in world history, not through violence, but through outcasts and sinners and losers. Think of words you'd use to describe that personality. I mean, they won't do him justice, but think of the words. Humble, generous, self-giving. All those words are too weak. It's important to notice when we think of Christmas or to remember that Jesus was never forced to be like that. I mean, one of the things I sometimes say about myself is, you know, I'm not a very physically aggressive person. What I really mean by that is I'm small and skinny and so I would lose fights. (laughs) So I have to not fight with anyone. I would get beaten up. That's not true of Jesus' humility in the manger. He is immensely glorious in every way, and he chooses humility, service, self-lowering, giving away his powers to help others. It wasn't just a passing fancy. If you think about the way dictators behave in the world today, this is how they behave. They gather glory for themselves, and then they say, I'm so glorious, you're all going to need to obey me. What you're going to have to do. Jesus says, I'm the most glorious and I'm going to make myself less than all of you. And it's that same personality, even though Jesus is now in heaven, it's that same personality of the incarnate God on display. Because look at Jesus' response to John. Jesus was quite right to fall down. Uh, John was quite right to fall down before Jesus. And, but Jesus doesn't say that. I mean, I think if I was Jesus, which is lucky for everyone I'm not, I'd be tempted to say, yes, well done, John, at last. You've got how glorious I am. But Jesus, he takes his right hand, the hand of power, of glory, of rule, of responsibility, the hand that holds the stars. He takes that hand and sets it onto John's shoulder and says, do not be afraid. Jesus' glory is so satisfyingly terrifying. He is big and luminous enough to enlighten and comfort and fulfill you. But his heart, his heart is to reach out his powerful ruling hand and put it on your shoulder and say, don't be afraid. As we think about the baby Jesus this Christmas, the historical Jesus, perhaps that's the heart of his message. Don't be afraid. Don't act out of fear, whatever it is you're facing. God became a person. That God is actually the light-giving, glorious God of Revelation 1. Don't act out of fear if he's near you. 
How much goes wrong because we act out of fear? How much could be put right if we saw Jesus in his glory and then realised that he, the glorious Jesus, is saying, don't be afraid. One of the things that I love is uh, my passport. I guess when I get a new one, it will now be blue. But let's not talk about that uh, political thing. One of the things I love about my passport is what it says on the inside. Have you ever read what it says? Refers to the Queen. Sorry, if you're British. I don't know what it says in other passports. If you're British, your passport says, Her Britannic Majesty requests and requires that you give the bearer of this passport all due assistance. I love that. It's like I go into another country, open the passport, and I'm like, the Queen says, she says more than requests, she requires Her Britannic Majesty that you give me assistance. I've never actually done that. But that's what you are saying. And the act of having that passport, being given it, it's only useful because the one giving it to me actually has power and influence. British government has a lot of influence in the world still. Jesus putting his hand on John's shoulder could just like tap, 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 there you go. But it's not that, is it? Because the one putting his hand on John's shoulder is the one with the power and glory and strength above everybody else. It's him who puts his hand on the shoulder and says, do not be afraid. His heavenly majesty requests and requires that you do not be afraid. And he says, I'm the first and the last. I was before everything and I'll be after everything. I am the living one. That's what we've been saying. He has life in himself. I was dead and now I'm going to live forever. I mean, that's a pretty good CV. But you notice he lists all of those truths about himself so he can say something that's good for us. Because I'm before and after everything, because I have life in myself, because I died and now I'm back to life, I hold the keys to death and hell. He says, because I'm like that, I am the one who holds the key to your worst problem, death. All of this huge power and achievement, all of his CV achievements, it's all directed towards helping us. All this glory and strength that he reaches out to comfort us with. He puts his hand on our shoulder and says, don't be afraid. I have used all of that power to protect you from death. His glory is focused on helping you. Jesus is like that today. The one who stooped to help us is the one who's now in heaven with all the power, with all the heart, with all of the qualifications to give us help. Think of Jesus today. It's impossible to do. Even John's words can't get his head around it. But think of the glory of Jesus today. Then think 
of that hand. Think of that word, do not be afraid. And as the church in Advent has always done, think of Jesus returning and the world he will put right if this is what he's like. Isn't it time to let go of whatever is holding us back and just worship Jesus? Isn't it time if the Christmas Jesus is the glorified in heaven Jesus, isn't it time to let him say, do not be afraid? Isn't it time to stop fighting and to say to him, I trust you. I trust the personality, the personality of glory that became a person who's now glorified again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many people in this room are facing things beyond difficulty of what we would ever be able to imagine. And yet we know, glorified Jesus is who we need. So we pray, please, by your spirit, like John experienced on that terrible exile by himself, he experienced the true presence and glory of Jesus. We pray for some of that by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we let go and worship him, we pray for his closeness to help us with whatever we're facing. Let's just take a few moments of quiet to bring some of those things to the glorious Lord Jesus. <clears throat>